thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his, I think it's wonder and grace. Those, the words of that song have a huge personal importance for me. Uh, when I was going through the, the most difficult period in my life in the, in the 1990s when there was all sorts of rubbish going on, being done to me, happening around me, then that, the words of that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And what that meant in practice to me was, despite all the rubbish going on, get into God's word, focus on Jesus that way, and the things of this earth, all the rubbish going on around me, uh, will grow strangely dim. And, and as, a, as a practical advice, that actually happened to me. It, it enabled to sort of rebalance and just didn't take the rubbish away, but it just enabled me to focus in on Jesus and the other stuff did indeed grow strangely dim. As, as Donna said, I'm Jeff. I'm a member of the church here. Uh, I'm a member and not the pastor. If you are here for the first time, either in person or online, don't make the mistake of previous people and think that I was the boss of this place. Um, Johnny Harrison has that privilege. Uh, he's speaking at another church in Hartlepool, of all places. People, are you from Hartlepool? He's teaching Hartlepool. Wow. Um, Hartlepool, if you don't know, is a, a town not that dissimilar from Barrow, really, up in, in, in the northeast. Uh, we've had uh, the, the blessings of having uh, Phil Dixon, uh, a speaker here, on a number of occasions in, over recent months. Uh, and Johnny, I think, is doing a reciprocal visit uh, to his church in Hartlepool this morning. Today's talk is the second in the series uh, entitled One Hit Wonders. Last week, if you were here or, or were able to listen, uh, then Johnny spoke about the, the character of Jethro in the Old Testament, Moses' father-in-law, uh, the story that came from uh, the book of Exodus. Um, and in introducing the, his theme of One Hit Wonders, Johnny gave this definition. We weren't here last week, we were on holiday in, in Gloucestershire, um, but because I was second in the series, I wanted to know exactly what Johnny was going to say about One Hit Wonders. So this is what he said in his introduction. One Hit Wonders, it's people remembered for just one thing, people of momentary significance. These were his words, okay? And obviously he's referring in this context to people in the Bible. And he also said, he asked the question, what does God teach us through this one person? So that was the way he introduced it last week. People, remembered for just one thing, people of momentary significance, what does God teach us through this one person? Now I have to tell you that Johnny's definition of one hit wonder was either misleading or inaccurate, because I'll let you decide. Well, why? Because the subject of today's talk, today's one hit wonder, is indeed remembered for just one thing, is indeed of momentary significance, and God can indeed teach us through them. But, 
and I've written that down, but in big capital letters. Today's one-hit wonder is not a person. They're not human. They don't even have their own name. The focus of today's talk, a real, real build-up you get into this, isn't it? Yeah. The focus of today's talk, also in the Old Testament, but now in the book of Numbers, is Balaam's donkey. I didn't realize we had members of Balaam's donkey fan club here this morning. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Could I just have a quick show of hands then? How many people here already know? Because if you already know the story, then I will be very, very brief this morning. How many people already know the story of Balaam's donkey? Uh, maybe about, what, about a third maybe? Okay, so I'll carry on. Today's story is a relatively minor one. It's certainly a rather weird one. Because perhaps the most memorable feature of Balaam's donkey is that he could talk. So yes, with Johnny Harrison off in his jollies, on his jollies to exotic Hartlepool, I'm here this morning to talk to you about a talking donkey. <laughs> now I said it was a rather weird episode, but perhaps for us these days, the, the weirdness is perhaps somewhat tempered by the fact that if you've seen the Shrek films, then we're very familiar with the concept of a talking donkey. Shrek's friend, the very aptly named donkey. Eh? The slowly beast of burden who had ambitions to become a noble steed. And only a few weeks ago, on a different series, Johnny was preaching on Genesis 3 about the fall. And there too, we had a talking animal in the form of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. So a talking donkey, maybe not quite so weird, maybe. What I want to do this morning is to explain some of the context of this episode of the no, talking donkey. Then I want to look a little bit at Balaam himself, the owner of our donkey. Then I want to do the main focus in having a look at scripture where we can read and try and understand the episode of Balaam's donkey. And then finally, to try to, because this is one of the questions that Johnny asked, which last week wasn't actually misleading, that was part of the honest things that he said, um, was what's the actual relevance of this Old Testament character to us today? And that's the bit that I will focus on at the end. So, the context. This story occurs in the book of Numbers. That's the fourth book of the Old Testament, probably written by Moses, although we're not sure. And Numbers is called Numbers because the book both ends and starts with accounting, a numbering, a census of God's people, the Israelites. And each of these countings, these numberings, took place about 40 years apart. The actual result of the count was very similar. On each occasion, when they counted all the Israelites that were together, there were 600,000 men doesn't mention how many women, but you would guess it's round about the same number. doesn't mention how many children, but it's at least the same number, probably more. And it doesn't mention how many animals were there. So you can see this is a sizable group of people, maybe two million. If you can imagine all the people in Barrow brought together in one place at the same time, and then times that by 10, then that's probably about the number of men that you had in this group, not counting the women, not counting the children, not counting the animals. 
And this was the group that had escaped from slavery in Egypt. Remember Moses, with just a little bit of help from God, had led this massive group of people through the Red Sea. And the book of Numbers, where our story today comes, covers the 40-year period from when they arrived on the other side of the Red Sea until they arrived in the promised land uh, that had been promised by God uh, to Abraham. Our story is towards the end of this 40-year period. The Israelites very, very slowly and tortuously had journeyed eastwards towards the promised land. If you know your Middle Eastern geography, this is now taking place roughly just to the east of the Dead Sea. It's an area described in scripture as the plains of Moab. And as the Israelites journeyed uh, in, in this direction, scripture describes various of the military encounters that they'd had, mainly victories, as they battled with the other nations who tried to stop them as they made their way towards the Promised Land. The king of this nation, the king of Moab, was a guy called Balak. And he'd heard of the Israelite victories against two of his neighboring kings. Uh, this is first referred to, if we can have the first scripture please, which is Numbers uh, 22 and verse 2. You can see that uh, this guy, the king, had seen what the Israelite armies had done to the Amorites. To use a common phrase, Balak somewhat freaked out. He was terrified of these massed ranks of Israelites traveling through his land. They were a proven military threat. And imagine, maybe two million uh, living souls, imagine how much of the local produce such a group would consume. We see repeatedly in the news today, don't we, of the impact of uh, maybe hundreds of refugees could have in a certain community. This was two million. You could see why this guy freaked out. Not only were they going to eat and drink everything, but they could fight as well. So what does Balak do? Well, he hires what one of my sources in preparing this describes as a pagan sorcerer to pronounce curses on Israel. This so-called pagan sorcerer is none other than Balaam, the owner of our talking donkey. Obviously, Balaam is well known to the king Balak. He has a strong local reputation as a powerful freelance prophet. If you could see verse 6 of chapter 22, please. Balak is speaking to Balaam. Now come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land for I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. So Balak has summoned, has tried, is trying to hire Balaam. That's the context. Let's look now at Balaam. Balaam, as it transpires, is not a good guy. Although I have to say that just on an, an initial reading of the scripture that we're going to look at today, that's not immediately apparent, or at least it wasn't to me. To have a better understanding of the nature of Balaam, the guy we're dealing with here, then we need to read quite a bit further on in Numbers than what we're going to do today. And very interestingly, we need to look at, and we'll do this very briefly with just three scriptures I've chosen, we need to look at what the, some of the writers of the New Testament have to say about Balaam. And when we see these, you're in no doubt at all that this is a bit of a, a nasty piece of work. The first scripture I'd like to show you is from Revelation, and it's Revelation 2, 14. 
Nevertheless, I, and this is the writer of Revelation, have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. The second New Testament verse about Balaam is from 2 Peter chapter 2, and it's verse 15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. Can you see the picture that is being built up elsewhere in Scripture of the nature of Balaam? And the third New Testament reference to, to, to Balaam is from the book of Jude. It's chapter 1 and it's verse 11. Woe to them, says Jude. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. So despite your first impressions of what we're going to see about Balaam in the chapter we're looking at today, the wider context shows that this guy is a nasty piece of work. To the New Testament writers, he was a very negative figure. He was a prophet for hire. He was a man whose integrity was for sale. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. I love one description of Balaam that I came across when I was reading up on this, which described him as a man blinded by the cataracts of cash. What a lovely image that is. Yeah? A man blinded by the cataracts of cash. But you remember, our one-hit wonder is not Balaam. It's his donkey. So that's probably enough of a lowdown now on Balaam. Let's get on with the episode with the donkey. We're going to look at uh, the whole of chapter 22 in Numbers. Uh, I'm reading it. We're using the NIV version. Uh, and I'm going to start off with the, the first half. So we're reading from Numbers 1 to 20. And then we'll take a short pause while I say something on that, and then we'll do the rest of the chapter. So, Numbers 22, 1 to 20. This is the story. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land, and they've settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite official stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. 
A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they're blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I couldn't do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night, God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Do you see what I mean from that passage there about needing the wider context to understand the real character of Balaam? Because to my eyes at least, this chapter so far, it seems okay. Let's carry on with the story, verse 21 to 34. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey. There we are. Ta-da! One hit wonder. He's finally here. Saddled his donkey and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done? Notice I'm not even attempting a donkey voice here. <laughs> and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? which you've always ridden to this day, have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, so he bowed low and fell face down. Let's go on up to verse 34. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it hadn't turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. 
but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I will go back. The story of Balaam and Balak continues in the rest of chapter 23 and into chapters 23, 4, and 5. It's a good read. But our one hit, hit wonder, remember, is the donkey. And the donkey's part in this episode is restricted to what we've just read. I have to confess that I was a little bit taken back by some of the translations I read. There seems to be a bit of confusion over to whether to call the donkey it or she. Uh, I don't have a strong opinion on this one, so I'll probably go with it. But if you have a, a cat or a dog where you would be horrified to it being called it, then please excuse me on this one. In our passage, Balaam has met with the second group of officials King Balak had sent to persuade him to go back to Balak and do his bidding of cursing the Israelites. And so in the morning, he saddled his donkey and set off to do so. God was angry at this, and this mysterious figure of the angel of the Lord appears to oppose Balaam. We could spend time looking at the angel of the Lord, but we won't because our focus is on the donkey. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord blocking the road, sword drawn, and understandably enough, turns off the road and into a field. Wouldn't you do the same? A little further on, the angel of the Lord appears again, this time in a narrow path with walls on both sides. The donkey again sees the angel, Balaam doesn't, and understandably presses close up to the side wall, crushing Balaam's foot in the process. Again, Balaam beats his donkey. A little further on, the angel of the Lord appears a third time in a narrow place where there's nowhere to turn. The donkey sees the angel. Balaam doesn't. The donkey has nowhere to go this time and lays down with Balaam still on his back. Balaam, in his anger, again beats his donkey with his staff. And it's at that moment that the Lord gives speech to the donkey. Verse 28. The donkey says... What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Verse 29 is Balaam's response. He answered, You've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. The donkey comes back in verse 30. Am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden, to this day, have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Balaam's out of smart responses by this stage. No, he says. Verse 31, please. Sorry, I was a bit, too, a bit too swift there. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, so he bowed low and fell face down. Carrying on into 32 and 33. The Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me. If it hadn't turned away, I would have killed you by now. And 34, Balaam said, I've sinned. Now, if you're displeased, I will go back. And that's the end of the story. That's a, the moment of momentary significance, if you like, for the, for the talking donkey. I really like the fact 
that not only does he give the gift of speech, does God give the gift of speech to the donkey, but it also, he also gives the gift of being able to argue logically. <laughs> and he makes a very, very valid point of, have I always been like this? Or is this maybe the first time this is happening? How, I, how have I been as your donkey beforehand? Have I not done a decent job? Have I been a, a good donkey for you? Have I let you down before? No, says Balaam. So this donkey, this lowly beast of burden, loyal to its master, content to go about its usual mundane duties, is suddenly empowered. He's empowered, he, not it, or she, is empowered to see this spiritual being, the angel of the Lord, where his master, this gifted prophet, able to speak with and listen to God, can't see the angel of the Lord, is not similarly empowered. And this lowly beast of burden is also empowered to speak and to rationalize, to be used by God to fulfill God's purposes. It's all a bit weird, isn't it? But it's a good story, an entertaining listen, hopefully, on a Sunday morning. But this story is God's word. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's quite a famous passage from Hebrews. And I particularly like the translation of that passage uh, in the message version. If we could see that, please. God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one can resist God's word. We can't get away from it, no matter what. So what can we learn from this episode of Balaam's Donkey, our one-hit wonder for today? I'm going to make three suggestions for your consideration. Firstly, the masses of the Israelites on the plains of Moab were gathered there, thousands upon thousands of them. They were nearing the end of their 40-year journey. Now, if they were behaving in any way typical of other glimpses we get of them during this 40-year journey, they were probably grumbling, arguing, complaining about and to their leaders, probably questioning what God was doing them, bringing them here in the first place, maybe even straying from God. A, the a theory which is certainly supported if you carry on reading the next chapters of Numbers. And while this was going on, down on the plains of Moab, God, not too far away, in this episode with Balak and Balaam and the donkey, but completely unbeknown to the Israelites, was working out his purposes to protect and bless his people just as he promised Abram he would do in Genesis chapter 12. So on the one hand, you've got God's people grumbling, rebellious, straying. And on the other hand, you've got God's grace, faithfulness, honoring his promises. And that was taking place completely unbeknownst to the Israelites. Does that have anything to say to us? Maybe at times when we can't see or hear God, when we're not aware of God acting on our behalf. As I was giving that a little bit of thought myself, the words of an old hymn came to mind. Well, I've not sung for a very, very long time. Some of you here will recognize this. 
God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. God is working his purpose out as, and the time is drawing near. Nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. God is working his purpose out. The Israelites didn't know it, but that didn't mean it wasn't happening because God had promised his blessing and protection upon them. The second thing that I might I'd ask you to think about in terms of what the donkey might teach us is that to remind us that God wants to communicate with us. He wants to reveal his will to us. It's part of his very essence as our Heavenly Father. And God, being God, has the right to do anything he pleases. He's infinitely creative. He's not limited to what we might consider as normal. And so in our story, he communicates through a donkey to Balaam. Balaam, so intent on money, so blinded by the cataracts of cash, that he couldn't see or hear what God was really trying to say. When God has a message to transmit, God uses the means he wants. It might be other people, expected or not. It might be specific circumstances, expected or not. It might even be a talking donkey. And so my question is, is, or rather, are our eyes and ears sufficiently open? Are our senses sufficiently ready to hear what God might be saying to us through whatever source, today and in the days ahead? And thirdly, and finally, if God can use a donkey, that lowly beast of burden, surely, surely he can use us in however big or small ways he chooses. Surely, we are as usable by God as a donkey. And God has a clear track record throughout Scripture of using the least likely people to accomplish his purposes. In the Old Testament, the prostitute Rahab played a key role in the overthrow of Jericho and the establishment of foothold in the Promised Land. The insignificant and somewhat wimpish Gideon defeated a whole enemy army with just 300 guys. The young, lowly shepherd boy David killed Goliath, the champion of the Philistine army. In the New Testament, the disciples, this ragtag gang of ordinary men, changed the course of history. The apostle Paul, the self-declared worst of all sinners, spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus, throughout the whole ancient world. Like the donkey, our appearance in the timeline of God's kingdom might indeed be limited, but surely too our impact can be significant. God chose Bethlehem, the least likely of places, an insignificant little village, as the birthplace of the saviour of the world. Surely, he can make use of us. And right here, in Barrow Furnace, maybe even Hartlepool. God, working out his purposes, often unbeknownst to us, often despite us, but always for us. God desires to communicate with us through whatever means he chooses. 
God using the least likely of people in the least likely of places to accomplish his purposes. Maybe those are some of the things for us to consider from the story of the talking donkey, today's one-hit wonder. Shall we pray? Lord God, this story is, quite frankly, a bit weird. But it's in your word, Lord, so it's due all the respect that that uh, gives to it. Lord, enable us to see not just the story of the talking donkey and the way you empowered it to, to speak and to see your angel, but give us the insight, Lord, as to how to apply this story to ourselves. What do you want us, Lord, to take away from this? Is it thinking about how you might use us, how you might want to communicate with us? Lord, just pray that you'll, you'll make that clear. Lord God, I just thank you for, for your word and the opportunity and the privilege you've given us, Lord, to come together this morning to consider this very small part of it, Lord. Lord God, thank you for your word. Amen.